My name is J.D. Mangro. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Charleston on this Independence Day weekend. I can't thank you enough for being here uh, this morning. As we conclude our Asking for a Friend series, over the course of coronavirus church since mid-March, uh, we went, because we were seeing people who had never come on a Sunday when we met face-to-face, we began to see some of you who are coming on Facebook Live. And so I reached out to several of you and said, any questions you have about church or faith or God that you would like to to hear more about, and several of you submitted some questions. We've been working through those over the last few weeks. Today, as we conclude, let me just tell you, next week we'll begin a series, very excited about it, called Hidden Figures. You'll hear more about that uh, in the days to come, but it's a chance to look at lesser-known characters of the Old Testament who figured into God's story uh, in Scripture and in sort of redemptive history. And I'm not going to be the only one preaching it. We'll have other voices who will be preaching during this series so that we can be hearing from different perspectives and different men of God as they want to share what God has to say to us. So uh, today, as we finish asking for a friend, this question was given. The question was asked, is heaven for real? Is it for real? And will I see my parents again? Provokes all kinds of other questions like, is there life after life? Is eternity going to seem like eternity? Will eternity be boring? Will I know my pets in heaven? And how do I know I get to go to heaven? All these are great questions. We're going to work through them today as we, as we will. Do you ever ask any of those questions? Can you Like if you think back, can you think about the youngest age where you kind of began to wonder about heaven or hell? And where is your faith today in relation to where it was when you were a kid? Do you still think about heaven, hell, life after life, eternity, all of those things uh, in the same way that you used to? Even more, and I think this would be the real question for us today, how does your faith and your thinking about heaven and hell and eternity today square with God's word and what Jesus and the Bible have said in scripture? Now, it's tough to pick a scripture to share today because frankly, the Bible talks so much about eternity. Jesus talked about heaven and hell, Paul uh, John, who we'll look at today, Peter, each of these New Testament writers uh, spoke about eternity, as well as so many of the authors of the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures, they spoke about eternity as well. So it, it's tough to pick one passage. But today we're going to look at the next to the last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation. If you have a paper Bible, just turn to the very back. Once you get past sort of the indices or... Um, or the notes or maps or anything like that, you'll see the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at chapter 21 of Revelation. Now, before we read, remember the context. See, Revelation was the last book of the Bible to be written. It was written around 90 AD by the Apostle John, by the disciple John. And it's written to sort of, it's written 60 years after Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose from the dead. And so it's writing to people a couple of generations after those first Christians. And it's reminding them of the truth, particularly as the Roman emperor Domitian, not a good guy, was beginning to persecute and even martyr followers of Jesus for their faith because he saw it as opposed to the culture of the Roman Empire. And so John is writing them to remind these followers of Christ that this life is not their home and that God, not the emperor, is king. And regardless of politicians or current events, they would have hope. Can I be honest? Like, 
that is as relevant today, 2,000 years later, as it was in the first century. Powerful words, to be sure, as we talk about eternity. Let me read to you Revelation 21. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then 22 through 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now notice really quickly, it's not saying people who do those things. It's saying people who that's their identity. In other words, heaven is going to be for the people whose identity has been found in Christ. And the lake of fire, hell, separation from God will be reserved for those whose identity was sinfulness and self-rule. Skipping on down to verse 22, John wrote, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me pray and we'll dive right in. God, we speak to us. We look forward to eternity. Um, God, we don't want to deny eternity today. We look forward to this diverse kingdom of people where our common king is Jesus. will be from all nations, tribes, and tongues, and we'll worship Jesus forever. And that will be good and beautiful. Will you speak to us today? Help us assess our hearts in relation to you and adjust our lives and our thinking where it is needed. Most of all, we want to leave here today celebrating you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, God ultimately isn't looking to beam us up with angels up there and in the sweet by and by. And my thinking as a kid that in heaven, I was going to be some baby angel with a diaper with golden diaper pins who was playing a harp and had these silly little wings like a terrible Ann Gettys poster. None of that was rooted in scripture or in reality. Neither is heaven going to be or eternity or standing before God going to be like uh, a, a mean-spirited calculus teacher who you take the calculus test and you think you got the question right only to see that she zinged you and you actually failed. We're not going to stand before God one day and there'll be this twi- trick question about how we get into eternity. 
As Christ followers, based on these scriptures and revelation and in the overwhelming canon of scripture, we believe God is going to come down to earth and set up a new heaven and a new earth where three things are going to be true. And they are not like the sort of stereotypes that we've seen. One, we see that God will live among us. See, heaven is anywhere that God is. So God's bringing down heaven to earth and renewing the earth. But heaven's going to be heaven because God is there. God will reign among us and we will live as citizens under the authority of the best king ever. The second thing I think we see in this scripture is that God is going to destroy sin and death. And even further, he's going to destroy fear and darkness and sadness and danger. Those are all going to be things of the past and the new heaven and the new earth. The third thing we see here in Revelation 21 is that people who make God their God will enjoy eternity. And godless people, self-ruling people, those people that verses 7 and 8 talked about, will have no part with God and will be resigned to an eternal hell. See, the roll call, the crazy part about heaven is the roll call is going to have some people who are going to totally surprise us. There are going to be people in eternity, the Bible says, who we didn't think would be there. I mean, there's going to be people not in heaven who we will have thought would be there, but maybe they were religious or they put on a good show. See, ultimately, God's going to judge us based on our hearts and our relationship to his son, Jesus. And God's kingdom is this upside down kingdom where the first or last and the last are first, and the greatest are least, and the least are the greatest. And where the desperate and the not good enough people and the ones who can only cry for mercy find salvation. I used to get freaked out when I thought about heaven. Do you ever feel like that? I, the only thing that scared me more than heaven was hell, so I became a follower of Jesus, really just to get this eternal fire insurance. But now, frankly, at 42, I welcome heaven. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not ready to die. I want to live a long life with Natalie and watch our boys grow up and live in Charlestown and watch so many in this neighborhood come to faith in Christ. I'm not afraid to think about standing before God one day. When he asks why he should let me into heaven, I'm going to say, not because of my goodness, but I plead the blood of Jesus. God, I am crying out for mercy uh, because Jesus was my king and I surrendered my life to him while I had life and breath in this life. And I believe God's going to say, well done, enter into eternity. You know, that's good news. With all of that said, though, I want to tell you that I'm not ready to go to heaven right now. See, heaven's wherever Jesus is and while I'm not ready to go up to heaven, you know what? The aim of my life is actually to bring some of heaven down here to earth. I want to be so close to Jesus that my life, and I want this to be true of you, that your life would bring God and heaven and Revelation 21 to earth right now where possible. So to my friend's question, and, and some other questions I think we might ask, let me just address them one by one. Is there life after life? Absolutely. Revelation 21 talks about life after life. Jesus talked about it. It's talked about it over and over so that the Bible makes it abundantly clear. And doesn't that really kind of make sense that there's life after life if we think about it? C.S. Lewis once wrote, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If there is a desire in this life that nothing in this life can satisfy, then it would seem like there is another world that can somehow satisfy that desire. 
when we hear of miscarriages or tragedies, when we turn on the news and end up so depressed at the injustice and the state of the world, hope tells us that these things don't get the last word. The Bible tells us God gets the last word in eternity. Yes, all the promises of Jesus have come to be, except one, his return and setting up his kingdom to put all things right. To a second question, is heaven for real? And if yes, is hell for real? Yes, over and over again, the Bible speaks of heaven and hell. Scripture tells us of the final resurrection where God's people will have recognizable resurrection bodies. We won't be these disembodied, misty spirits who kind of float around. And we definitely will not be those little baby body angels with wings and harps and little baby diapers. We'll have recognizable bodies. You and I will see one another and recognize one another in heaven. Scripture also speaks often of hell. Hell's the place where people who reject God all the way through life and into death are allowed to spend their eternity. Hell is about demons and darkness and fire and all that stuff, but it's not primarily about that. See, hell is primarily a place where God is not. It's the absence of God, of love, and of light. Now, some will ask, what about purgatory? And I know that many in Charlestown believe in the doctrine or the this place of purgatory. Can I just tell you, purgatory is never once mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the 39 Old Testament books that Christians have recognized for 2,000 years. It's not recognized in the 27 New Testament books that Christians have recognized as scripture for 2,000 years. The idea of purgatory came from a sort of Jewish cultural book that was written between Malachi and the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's heaven and hell, scripturally, there's no middle place. In fact, to believe in a place where you would have some righteousness, but be relegated to go spend some time until your righteousness or someone else's righteousness kind of prayed you out of that place, would be to say that Jesus' death covered some of your sins, but not enough. So you or your loved ones, their righteousness or their prayerfulness is going to somehow add to Jesus' death. Purgatory is ultimately a denial of the full work of the cross. And we as Christians don't believe that. And that's rooted in scripture. So to the idea of purgatory, we would say the Bible doesn't speak to it. So we don't believe in it. In fact, we think purgatory contradicts scripture. To my friend's other question, will I see my parents again? Listen, if you have believed Jesus and surrendered your life to him, asking forgiveness, beginning a relationship with God through Christ. And if your parents have done the same, then yes, God is gracious. Scripture tells us God is gracious and wants no one to be separated from him, but he wants all to be saved. But we each get to choose. You get to choose. I get to choose. Your parents get to choose. It's our choice. But if the answer is yes, that you and them have trusted Christ, then the answer is yes, you will see them again. But our loved ones in heaven aren't actually going to be the main thing. Think about, uh, so the Bible says that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And the church is the Christ followers, not the buildings, not the names of the churches. The church, the capital C church is the bride 
of Christ. So like a newlywed bride at the wedding reception who can't take her eyes off the groom in the midst of family and friends and people dressed up and a feast and fun music and everything going on. All she can do is look at the groom and celebrate their love in eternity. The all-consuming, most important thing is going to be our love for Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus. And that's going to satisfy in a way we can't even fully imagine. It's not going to minimize or negate our loved ones, but it's going to put our loved ones in the proper perspective when we see Jesus' face. And let me tell you, this should make us excited and not sad or disappointed in any way. Heaven will exceed our greatest expectations in every single way. That question, though, leads to the follow-up question. I know Carla and Amy and my wife Natalie and Noah and Owen and other kids may ask, maybe some of you would ask, will I see my pets again in heaven? I believe so. Heaven speaks, the Bible speaks of heaven uh, having animals in it, and so I think they'll be there. We love our pets. Why would God create us with a capacity to love uh, and, and objects of love here on earth that are good and not sinful, that wouldn't also be in eternity? That wouldn't make sense. Now, I know some people have pet snakes and spiders and ferrets, which terrify my wife. We're going to need you in heaven to put those things in cages, okay? We know they can't get us in heaven and bite us. But we would just prefer you put those in cages, so make that plan, if you will. But I believe pets are going to be there. And as for people with pet allergies, I believe that there will be no sickness or sadness in heaven, as we read in Revelation 21. So you won't have to worry about that. To the question of will heaven be boring, or will eternity just feel like an eternity, I think I would say, first of all, it's a great question. Now that question assumes a couple of things. One, it assumes that... And, and this question wasn't asked, by the way, by the asker. Let me make it clear. This question was actually asked by me many times during my Christian journey. Will eternity just seem like it goes on for eternity? That question assumes that God is boring. Because if heaven is where God is, for heaven to be boring, then God must be boring. It also assumes that worship is boring. Now, we've got to rightly define worship. See, worship is giving God worth and glory and just ascribing to him what's due him. Worship isn't just going to church or reading the Bible or singing gospel songs. See, worship is anytime we do anything and fully are present and understand that it's God who gives those good gifts to us. When we think of it like that, then worship could occur when we're eating a great meal or we're enjoying our family, we're on vacation or creating something just as much, if not even more, than going to church and singing. To the question of if heaven is boring, it also assumes that righteousness is boring, as if sin is so fun and living a holy life is very puritanical and, and not good and so boring. What a lie Satan has told us, that we believe that hell is going to be this eternal rap or rock concert and heaven's going to be like this waiting lobby for this eternal dentist appointment. Neither of those things is true. God and worship and righteousness will be the most fulfilling and life-giving thing we could ever imagine. That question also assumed that just because heaven is perfect, that 
and that we won't sin in heaven, that we will be perfect or complete. Now, I, I believe in heaven we will, Scripture would imply that we will learn and we will attempt and we will try and we will go and we will solve and we will rule. Listen, in eternity, I plan to take batting practice at Fenway Park. I plan to learn to sail a boat. I plan to learn to master an instrument like a bagpipes or the banjo. And I plan to learn to love. I want to love Jesus really well in eternity and love the people who have loved me. No, heaven won't be boring. It will commence with a feast in Jesus' honor where we sit around a huge table with people from every tribe and tongue and everyone who followed Christ over all the ages. And I'm going to sit near my loved ones and you're going to sit near your loved ones and hopefully we'll sit close together at the table. And we're going to raise a glass to Jesus and thank him for making it all possible. And then we'll spend eternity with him and loved ones in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, the last question I would ask, how do I know? How do we know we'll go to heaven? See, the truth is God doesn't send people to hell. God lets them have their way on into eternity. You see, God is a gentleman and hell is sadly reserved for people who have rejected God over and over and over and over and have oriented their lives around themselves or their sin or other people or stuff or pleasure or anything else rather than God. The bullseye for hell citizens was anything or anyone other than God all throughout their life. Heaven is made for those who made God the bullseye, the prize, the destination, the goal, and traded everything to get it. Heaven is for those who have trusted Christ and abandoned hope in anything else. Heaven's for those who have said to God, have thine own way. And frankly, hell is for those to whom God has said, have thine own way. Let me close here. Since heaven is real and since everyone will either spend eternity there or with uh, in hell apart from God, how should we be living right now? Should we be more urgent or less? More intentional or less? On May 20th, uh, 2000, 20 years ago, uh, two months ago, and what would become arguably one of the most powerful and memorable messages of the last 100 years, Pastor John Piper, who uh, was pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, was addressing 40,000 college students gathered in a field in Memphis, Tennessee for the Passion Conference. And he told them this, he said, if you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach to the ends of the earth or roll on for centuries into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ or a high EQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You just have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. And then he shared this, and I want to read it to you. Speaking to those 40,000 students, he said, Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old, serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes give way, and over the cliff they go. And they're gone, killed instantly. And I asked my people, was that a tragedy? 
Two lives driven by one great vision spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that is not a tragedy. That is a glory. He went on, he said, I tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. He continued reading from Reader's Digest. And he said, now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Piper said, that's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And he told those college students, I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells is a last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat. God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura, he said. And then he finished challenging those students. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. And I would tell you, don't waste your life collecting shells. I know some of you watching watch from Florida and from places near beaches. And I'm not criticizing living in Florida or uh, going to beaches. What I want to challenge us to is not to waste our lives just pursuing the stuff of earth. But I also want to challenge you not to waste your life pursuing the stuff right now only of eternity, being consumed, thinking about heaven, understanding that a lot of really well-meaning Christ followers have wasted a lot of moments, a lot of life, a lot of opportunities to make cultural change and to be a witness and to be on mission and to live a life of influence because they were thinking so much about heaven. What I want to challenge you today, the big idea is to live in light of eternity. Be intentional. My favorite poem says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give your life fully to Jesus. I know it's a holiday weekend. I know it's summer and what's been a crazy year. I know, but I want to tell you, I also know Jesus gave everything. Give your life to what Piper called the great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious truth of the gospel and heaven where God is and be set on fire by the reality of eternity. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word for Revelation 21, all the way uh, continuing 22 and all the way back to Genesis 1. It screams of eternity. It screams lovingly of, of heaven and hell with desperate urgency. God, help us to square up what we believe about heaven and hell. And uh, Lord, help us to live in light of eternity. For the one who's never entrusted himself or herself to you fully today, I pray today they would say, God, have your way with me. And they would ask you to forgive their sin. And then they would entrust uh, the, themselves to the work of Jesus at the cross. And they would become part of your family. 
for the ones who've done that, God. I pray that we wouldn't just live for today. And also pray we wouldn't just live thinking about eternity, kind of staring off into space and missing all the things right before us. But I pray that in light of eternity, we would live lives of mission and influence and selflessness and God lives that say that heaven is real and hell is real and Jesus is king and eternity is going to be great and that heaven is wherever Jesus is. God, may we bring heaven to earth on some level by the way we live our lives and may it be in Charlestown as it is in heaven. May it be in Boston as it is in heaven. May it be in our lives as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.